know, th- this morning we're going to talk about a group of people that, that, that really we need to affirm that we desire and appreciate them being here. And, and that's the singles among us. Because sometimes church doesn't seem to be a very safe place for singles. And this morning we complete our marriage series by talking about the issue of, of singleness in Scripture. And I want to thank all the single people who have endured these last six weeks of sermons on marriage and hung in there while we get there. And today we want to spend some time affirming what it means to be single in the Lord because sometimes we just say the wrong things. We don't mean to say the wrong things, but we do. You know, I I know I've said to single people before, you know, I know you're not married yet. I know it's a little bit later in life than what you want it to be. But when you finally get completely satisfied with God, then God's going to bring that person into your life. I've said that a lot. You know, that, that's almost saying God blessing you is dependent on your performance being perfect. That doesn't make a lot of sense. And on the other hand, we, we use that word complete again, and we really imply it to single people is, you know, your life's okay right now. But when you get married, then you will truly be complete. Right now, you're not complete. We just sometimes say the wrong thing. And then there's all those awkward questions we constantly ask single people. Are you in a relationship right now? Is there anybody special in your life? Sometimes we make those statements, you know, I can't believe someone like you has not been snatched up. Or then the poor conversation when we walk up to the single church and say, I just met this new guy at the office, you know. And he actually talks and he thinks and he walks. And I think I might be able to set you guys up. And so we lead to all these awkward moments about singleness. Because I'm afraid sometimes as modern Christians, we don't know what to do with this issue. We want to say the right things, but we end up often saying the wrong things. Because we're a little bit uncomfortable. Now here's what I want you to see. Paul was not uncomfortable with the issue of singleness. Look at this passage with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, let's start there in verse 26. And let's read slowly what Paul said. Because of the present crisis, I think it's good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Go to the next verse you would. Do not look for a wife. But if if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin married, she has not sinned. What's Paul saying there? Those who will marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Now let's try to get some context here to what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 7. We've been studying Ephesians 5 for the last six weeks. And, and, And Paul has such a high view of marriage... You get to 1 Corinthians 7, you go, has he gone crazy? I mean, is he trying to contradict what he just told us about the beauty of marriage in Ephesians chapter 5 by affirming the single lifestyle? Well, let's get context here. 1 Corinthians 7 is a chapter in the New Testament where we're listening to one end of a conversation. It's very obvious if you'll read the beginning of the chapter that the Apostle Paul has been sent a list of questions about marriage, about divorce, about staying together you got all these young Christians, and they're wondering what they do. What do you do if you become a Christian, and your mate doesn't become a Christian? 
That was a legitimate question then. The Bible had a lot to say about being unequally yoked. So do you get out of the marriage? Paul says no. Well, what condition are you in if you're, you become a Christian and because of that your mate deserts you? Are you still bound to that marriage? Are you free to marry, remarry? Paul says you're not bound. You are free to remarry. And so Paul's answering all these questions. If I'm single right now, Paul, how should I handle that? Is it okay for me to get married? You see, Paul says there, there seems to be looming a present crisis. He knows that being a Christian right now is going to be a difficult thing. That um, there are going to be persecutions and issues. And there's also expectation of many, maybe even Paul here, that Jesus is coming back any minute. So just stay the way you are. But in the middle of this, Paul affirms that the single lifestyle is a good place to be. He says, if you're unmarried, stay that way. And if you decide to get married, that's not wrong. But if you do get married, Paul says something all the married people in here could say amen to, you're going to face a lot of trouble, all right? You're going to have some trouble in your life. So Paul here affirms that. Now he goes on to explain his thinking. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29. I don't know if I've ever preached on these verses. Interesting verses. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. What are you saying? Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy things as if it were not theirs to keep. Fascinating passage. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for the world in its present form is passing away. Now what in the world is Paul saying there? Now if you have your outline, you can see that, or you see it up. Paul has a theology of the overlap of ages, alright? There is the old age. The Messiah was to come and He was to bring a new age. Jesus was to come and make things right. This age of disease and death and sorrow and depression would be wiped away by this new age where Jesus would come and make everything right. Now, here's what Paul understands. And if you're going to live the Christian life successfully, you better get this. Paul believes that in some sense of the word, we are in between ages. That the new age, the kingdom of God, has broken, it has come, it is present, but it is not fully here. That's why Paul can talk about, you're part of the kingdom of heaven, or Jesus can, you're part of the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of heaven is still coming. Why? Because the theology is, it's here, but it's not completely here. That's why, you know, we do see God work mighty miracles. We see there are some times where someone is healed instantly by the prayers of the saints. And sometimes it's not that way. Sometimes everybody's life becomes almost picture perfect. Oftentimes, it's not picture perfect the rest of their life. Why? Because we live in this in-between time where the kingdom has come, but it's not been fully realized. Paul says in this passage we just studied, that old age is passing away. So circle that in-between time there. Because that's where you and I are living. We are in this world, but not of this world. The kingdom is broken in, but it's not been fully realized. Now, what in the world does that have to do with marriage? 
What does that have to do with singleness? What does that have to do with possessions? What does that have to do with money? What is everything? It changes your perspective on everything. Look at this sentence. Our assurance about the future changes our attitude about all of our earthly activities. I I love the phrase Paul uses here. You need to enjoy them, but do not be engrossed in them. Enjoy it, but don't be obsessed. So, Paul would say, if you're living in a time of success in your life, enjoy it, but be glad about it, but don't be overly glad about it, because it might change tomorrow. If you're living in a time of failure in your life right now, where never anything's, nothing's going your way, go ahead and be disappointed, but don't be overly disappointed, because you know Jesus may come back, and the kingdom may fully come tomorrow. So don't be overly engrossed in it. And guys, that applies to almost every area of our life. you got the house you really want. Enjoy it, but don't be engrossed in it. You've got the job you always wanted. Enjoy it, but don't be engrossed in it. You don't have the job you've always wanted. Okay, be a little disappointed in that, but don't be engrossed about it. Every area of our life, our possessions, you got all the possessions you need? That's nice, but don't make too big a deal about it. You don't have the possessions you think you need? That's not so good, but don't make too big a deal about it. It's just not that big a deal, positive or negative. You know, some of us need to be reminded this morning, you know, your team is really being successful in football right now. Paul would say, enjoy it, but don't be engrossed in it because you know it may change next season, right? Your team not doing what you want it to do right now? Paul would say, it's okay to be disappointed, but don't make too big a deal about it. I mean, you know people whose week is made by what happened on Saturday? You probably think I'm one of those people. All right, but I mean, you know, Paul would say, that's wrong. Don't make too big a deal about the victory. Don't make too big a deal about the defeat. And that's what he's saying about marriage. If you're married, be excited, enjoy your marriage, but don't make too big a deal about it. If you're not married, enjoy being single. There's some good things Paul can say about being single, but don't make too big a deal about it. You're married and thrilled about it. Yes, enjoy that. You're unmarried and disappointed. That's okay to be disappointed, but don't be engrossed in it. You understand what he's saying there? Because see, Paul believes that singleness is, can be a very good thing. Let's talk about that just for a moment. The goodness of singleness. Now, we need to get this in context here because listen to me. What Paul says here is radical. It's radical for the day he lived. I'm afraid it's a little bit radical for the day we live, especially in church. Now, listen to a couple of historical facts. Other religions rejected singleness as a legitimate lifestyle. Many religious historians say Christianity was the first religion to embrace singleness as a good thing. So it was very, very different. That's a very radical idea. Now, why? Here's how ancient cultures looked at marriage. Ancient cultures regarded marriage as the only way for two things to happen in your life, for legacy and for security. Ancient cultures believed if you were going to leave behind a legacy, you better leave behind some children. Because if you don't have children, when you're dead, it's over. And there's nobody representing you left. And if you want security in the culture before Social Security and Medicaid and Medicare, then you better put yourself in a family or you're not going to have any security in life. 
So for ancient cultures, marriage was financial security. Marriage was emotional security. It was everything there. And Paul comes along and says, that's not the only way to leave a legacy. That's not the only way to have security. Let's talk about that legacy for a moment. Is the only way to be remembered is to leave biological children? You know, we've been studying the last few weeks about marriage. I think Paul would say, if you're not married, you still have family. In fact, we've been studying about marriage that the number one purpose of marriage is friendship. I think Paul would say, you know what? Even if you're single and you're not married, that number one purpose, my goodness, you, you can fulfill that in other ways than being married. Jesus said, if you gave up a mother, a brother, or a sister for the kingdom of God, he would give you a hundred times more in his kingdom. The only way to have a legacy, guys, is not to leave children. You can have a legacy by being a part of the family of God and the impact that you have on other people. I was scanning Facebook this week and Sorry, Ms. Janelle, but it was on there. And there was this great post by a young lady named Melissa Self. Melissa and her husband, Wes, are part of our Birmingham campus. And 10 years ago, they lived here in Montgomery. And she was talking about Ms. Janelle and thanking her that when she lived in Montgomery, Ms. Janelle took her under her wings, mentored her, blessed her, loved her. Now, Melissa's not Ms. Janelle's biological daughter. But she's leaving a legacy there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, guys, that, that's the way it happens. You leave legacies in people's life. The greatest compliments I ever received was from a young man the other day. He said, buddy, I just got to tell you this. You are my spiritual father. Not biological child. It's someone you impact. So guys, legacy, Paul would say, is not just left. You now have a family of God and security. You don't have to have financial security just because you're enmeshed in a family like in ancient cultures. The church changed that. Ever wondered why there's so much in Paul's writings about the church taking care of widows? Here's the reason. There was no social safety net. If your husband died, you really had no way to take care of yourself except by going and finding another husband. And so Paul's worried that these widow ladies in the church are going to go throw themselves in a relationship they don't need to be in. And so Paul writes all these letters say, you better have a fund in your church for widows. And here are the rules of how it applies. Why? Because he didn't want this widow being single to think, the only way I can be secure and financially feed myself is to go marry any Tom, Dick, and Harry out there who might happen to take me. And so the church began to change that. And because of that, Paul could say, you know what? If you're divorced or if you're widowed, you know what? It would be okay not to marry. In fact, it'd be good, Paul would say in many ways. So everything begins to change. Now, listen to me. I think this teaching is still a little bit radical today. Because it seems to me in the church, we've made singleness plan B. Okay, you know, if you can't find somebody, you don't get married, it never really happens, because that's the way you're really complete, then, okay, there, there is sort of a plan B. It's not quite as good as plan A, but you could be single. I don't think Paul believed that. I don't think he believed that at all. 
And guys, here's the problem that we've got to work through as a church. Is I, and I hear single people say this. Church just seems like a place for married people. That's not good. Because listen to me. For the first time in American history, more than 50% of American adults are single. And if we're only a place where married people fit in, we're not going to reach over half of our culture for Jesus Christ. Now, here's what Christianity did. It de-idolized marriage. It de-idolized it. And, and that's needed. Now, how did it do that? Listen to me. The founder of Christianity, Jesus Christ, was a single man. Walk up to Jesus and tell him he wasn't complete. You want to try that? The leading theologian and evangelist of the early church, the Apostle Paul, was a single man. Is he not whole? Now, this de-idolizing marriage, what Paul says is don't make too big deal about it, don't make too little deal about it, just, just have a balanced view of this thing. Don't get too excited about being married, don't get too down about not being married, just have a balanced view. Now, listen to me. What that actually does when you de-idolize marriage is it blesses singles. It says to people that are single, you can find your fulfillment in Christ and in His family. So if, if you're single right now, stop making marriage the end-all be-all. Put God first in your life. And right now, just enjoy being single. It's not a bad place to be, Paul would say. In fact, in some ways, Paul thinks it's the preferred place to be. And, and not only does de-idolizing marriage bless singles, I think we've also found out in this series, it blessed, blesses married people. Because guys, here's the problem in our culture. We have so idolized marriage, we have believed that we're going to find this one person who's going to meet every physical, emotional, financial, spiritual need in my life. And so we get in marriage and we are gravely disappointed because we made an idol out of it. And we think marriage can give us what truly only God can give us. And so to de-idolize marriage is going to bless both singles and married people. In fact, the Bible says for many people, there's what is called the gift of singleness. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 12. Jesus has just talked about marriage and divorce and about how you need to stay married for life. And some of his disciples say, well, if that's true, then maybe we should never get married. And Jesus says this, well, there are different reasons why some men cannot marry. Some men are born without the ability to become fathers. Others were made that way later in life by other people. He's talking about eunuchs there. But then look at what he says. And some men have given up marriage because of the kingdom of God. But the person who could marry should accept this teaching about marriage. What's he saying? There are certain people who give up marriage for the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is not saying there are certain people out there because they're not sexually attracted to people of the opposite sex have given up marriage. Now, Paul would say it's better to marry than to burn. What's Paul saying? Paul, Paul's saying, you know what? If you're just completely lack self-control in this area, you better get married. But Jesus is saying for some people, it's a legitimate choice to decide to be single for the kingdom of God. Not single because you got to or single because you're physically made that way. Single for the kingdom of God. Look at this passage. Paul talks about why that's a good option. 1 Corinthians 7, 
Look at this with me. Verse, but go back to that first slide I skipped there, all right? Well, what is a gift? A gift is the ability God gives to build others up, okay? Whatever spiritual gift you've been given, it's not for you. Somebody gets too, in their, too engrossed in their spiritual gift, not using it for other people, they, they've got the wrong idea. Every gift you've been given has been used to bless other people. Now, what Paul and Jesus believe is that singleness can be a gift that is used to bless other people. Now, Paul explains that in these next verses. 1 Corinthians 7. Watch this. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. What's Paul saying there? Paul's saying, why is a single life a viable option? It leaves you completely free for ministry to other people. Married people have concerns. Paul says, you know what? Some people, if they've been given that gift by God, don't look down on it. Don't feel like you're not complete the rest of your life. Embrace it. I'm telling you, the person who probably had more impact on me growing up spiritually than anybody else in the church I grew up in was a, a widow lady named Minnie Allums. She lived right by the Capitol Heights Church. Her husband had died when she was 29 years old, and she never remarried. And she just served God. Church charged her $35 a month for rent. She drove an old Comet and uh, wiped that thing down every morning, kept it clean. And she just went out and served people. If your toenails needed to be cut and you couldn't reach it, Minnie Allen's was there. If you were in the nursing home and you were lonely, she was there. If there was someone to reach out to, I'm telling you, she did half the work of that church. She took me in as a young teenager and said, buddy, go with me over here and I want you to read the Bible. Or I'd like you to go to this nursing home and I want you to give this speech. This woman was just free to be completely devoted to serving people. And I don't think God looked at her like, oh, poor Miss Minnie, you know, husband died, never got remarried. I think that was a gift. One of my best friends, you've heard me talk about him before, is a guy named Wiley Mullins. When I was a freshman at the University of Alabama, he was a sophomore. And I met him then, and we've remained really, really close friends. Wiley has started a company years later called Uncle Wiley's that produces seasoning for what he calls healthy Southern eating which that sounds pretty contradictory, doesn't it? But anyway, he's been extremely successful, moved to the New York area, owns a really nice house in Connecticut, actually owns a, you know, a vacation home up in the Berkshire Mountains. I mean, the guy has been really, really successful. He's never been married. But, but if I could tell you what he is able to do now in the state he's in, you'd be amazed. He, he goes to church Sunday morning in this small town in Connecticut, and teaches Sunday school. Right now he's teaching the book of Revelation. On Sunday night, he goes to this house church some friends of his started in New Jersey and is a big part of that. And when he's not at his regular home, he's in the Berkshire Mountains, he lives in this little town called Williamstown, he travels about 20 miles to this church of Christ called the Pittsville Church of Christ, which is the only church of Christ in the whole area. It's about 70 people. And while he's trying to fire those dudes up, and he is pushing them... It's like, you know, their baptistry's broken. And he's like, you can't have a church without a baptistry, man. What are you doing? He called the guy the other day and said, if, if you will just find out what it can take to fix this thing, I'll pay for it. And he's just amazing. On top of that, 
he uh, mentors inner city children. He funds a scholarship at the University of Alabama for minority kids to go into the business school. I mean, the guy's all over the map. On Friday mornings, every Friday morning, he's part of something in the Northeast called the New Canaan Society. It's a group of men who get together, and it's a Friday morning Bible study. It's about, the one he's a part of is about 50 or 60 men. They'll bring in Bill Hybels, Charles Swindle. They'll bring in big names of the Christian faith. I mean, he's a part of that. New Canaan Society has exploded. They invited him the other day to go help start it in California. Now, let me tell you. I'm just starting on what this guy does. It makes my head swim every time I talk to him. Every Bible study and prayer group he's a part of, who he's helping, who he's... Now, why can he do that? He can do that because he's given the gift of singleness. And what I've seen in his life is when he finally got at peace with that, he finally got a whole lot better. Because every time I'd be around him, he'd be dating. I mean, I mean, he, I mean he's successful. There are people... Last time I was up there, just about a month ago, there was some woman I said, Wiley, she's after you. He said, I know. I said, do not lead her on. You have led on so many women. Do not. You know you're not going to get married. You have a real straightforward relationship. We know you're not going to get married, so please don't lead her on like something's going on because there's always some woman after him. But he doesn't need to be married. And now that he's embraced singleness, he said, buddy, I am just completely happy being who I am. Man, I could do this Bible study. I could help this church. I could support this. He called me the other day. He, there's a city close to his city in the Berkshires that he may be moving to. He said, do you think Landmark would do a, a, a satellite church in New Adams? I want to start a church up there. I said, sure, man. I mean, he's constantly thinking. Why can he do that? Because he's embraced the single lifestyle. And I'm telling you, the Apostle Paul said, Jesus would say, you know what? For some people, that's a great thing. Don't fight it. Well, there's some of you saying, okay, buddy, I appreciate everything you're saying here. And I'm single, but that's just not my gift. Okay, I understand that. Let me give some advice to close out to people that are single who want to be married. All right? Let me just give you five things real quickly I think that may help you. Number one, don't be overly desirous or overly afraid of marriage. There are some people who just, Apostle Paul say, you want it too much. You're too engrossed in it. Don't be overly desirous of it. But there's a new phenomenon in our culture today where people are overly afraid of marriage. You know, if you look at the history of people getting together over the last century, you know, for, for, for centuries, people were part of what we all would call arranged marriages. And then in the century before this century, 18th century, there was what's called courtship, where basically, in this century of courtship, the girl would invite the guy to come spend time in her home. And that's the way you arrange the marriage. And then about 1914 is the first time the word dating was actually used. Where now the guy invites the girl, not to his home or to her home, but to go out somewhere else. Now, because of the disillusionment of marriage and the difficulty of marriage, now we've entered a new phase, which is called the hookup. And what the hookup is about is that now you just hook up with someone for nothing but sexual experience with no commitment of the relationship. And that is extremely popular. Because so many people today are so afraid of marriage. They've come from so many broken homes. They've seen so many people hurt. that There are a lot of singles now who are not overly engrossed in it. They're only afraid of it. I challenge you not to be either one of those things. People can choose the single lifestyle for ministry. 
don't choose the single lifestyle for selfishness. Okay? Don't choose just because I just don't want to have to fool with anybody. I don't want to serve somebody. So I'm going to say, if you're going to choose it, let me tell you, give it to the kingdom of God. Number two, recognize seasons for not seeking a mate. When you're in transitions in life to a new career, a new job, when you've gone through heartburn, maybe the death of a spouse, the death of a parent, the death of a child, there are seasons to say, I just don't need to be seeking a mate. What scares me are those people out there that always have to have a boyfriend or girlfriend in their life. They've always got to have, it's like that's their security blanket. And I think that's dangerous. I would especially say this to young Christians. If you just become a Christian and in your previous life you lived a promiscuous life, then let me tell you, you need to go through a phase of life where you just don't date. You need to build your relationship with God, your self-control, so that one day you will be able to do that. But it's okay. This we gotta give, it's okay to go through this period where you go, you know what? I'm not seeing anybody. Number three, invite input from your church family. I would add that, your family family, but also your church family. You know, here, here's the promise of Christianity. It is that you build relationships and friendships in the family of God that sometimes will mean more to you than your biological family. It's just almost, I think, almost a reversion to old courtship in that when you do date someone, or have, why don't you allow them to become involved in you in the ministry of God, in serving the poor, in Bible studies, in small groups. That's why Faith Works next Sunday is so important. Because next Sunday, all of us get to sign up for the ministry we're going to be involved in. That's one of the best ways you get close to people. You get a whole lot closer to people in ministry than you will just sitting in this nice auditorium. All right? And for single people, that's a wonderful thing to do. Instead of just being out there on the town, why don't you serve together and get to know each other that way, and God will bless that. Number four, do not date non-believers or allow the physical to dominate. Now let me say something real clearly here. I know some of you are not going to agree with me, but I think this is very plain. The Bible assumes that Christians marry Christians. Now, I know one of you can walk up to me afterwards, and I appreciate it, and I recognize it. You say, you know what? My spouse was not a Christian, and our marriage is what led him to Christ. Or our marriage is what led him. Okay, I, I appreciate that. I understand that. But I, I do believe the Bible assumes that Christians marry Christians. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, if your spouse has passed away and you're a widow, you can marry, but only in the Lord. He said, buddy, you know, I've had a, I'm glad you've had a good experience. Praise God for that. I'm glad your spouse is now in the Lord because of you. But listen to me. The statistics don't favor you. So I challenge you. And you know what changes your mind about that? Is when your children start dating. I tell you what, I, I know my children are going to marry the people they date. So I want them, I want them dating Christians. I think that's a good line. And, and don't get too physical. Here's the challenge of being a single in today's culture. People are getting married later and later. Where the marriage age might used to have been 19 or 20 years old, now the average is up in the late 20s. Now, you understand the position that puts the Christian single in about purity? And that's why you've got to be doubly confident and strong about the do's and don'ts of what you're going to do and not do. Because you're, you, you may endure a long period of time 
where, where, where purity is going to be an issue. And that's why I'm telling you, that's why this group dating thing's a great idea. That's why doing things together at church is a good idea. That's why it's not a really good idea to spend too much time in each other's apartment alone. That's just way too tempting. I'm telling you, watch, the, watch that one. Number five, have a clear picture of the hard work and the glory of marriage. If you're single, I think you need both of those things. You need a clear picture that this is hard work. Don't be fooled to think it's just going to be easy. But you also need to understand that there is a glory there. Yesterday I was blessed to, to perform the wedding ceremony for Jason Suggs. Normally Jason's sitting right back there. He married a, a young lady named Mandy Collins. This is the great story I love to tell is that they met at Landmark 101. So if you're thinking about going today, there might be some side benefits. But um, they, they met there. Jason's 35 years old, never been married. Mandy's in her late 20s. But they both had waited. And it's a beautiful thing. But they both had been at peace with being single if that's the way God wanted them. Okay? And so let me say to you, you need to under, well, we need to be giving people. That's what I love about those of you that have been single and been willing to participate in this marriage series is hopefully you're coming out of here with a balanced view of marriage. I found in some of the groups that I'm leading that have single people right now that a lot of people have never really heard the biblical view of marriage. We have so bought into the worldly, romantic, it's just about physical attraction view of marriage that we have missed out on what the Bible really teaches. And that's why it's great for you to be a part of a church where there are single people that are affirmed and there are married couples that are affirmed and where people are transparent and open about what's going on in their relationships. That's what I love about this church. I love about what happened on this front row last Sunday. Is married couples said, we're struggling. We need help. We need prayers. Because you need to see that. Because what the world does, it's going to make you over-idolize marriage. God says, don't do that. Please don't do that. So to close out this series, we've asked a group of married people to just, on a piece of paper, share part of their testimony of what God has done in their marriage. So I want you to, to watch this, and then we'll close out in just a moment.
right, guys, let's give these guys a hand for sharing with us today. What a beautiful sight. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Thank you for sharing. It's amazing how much you can learn in just a, a snippet. For a moment there, I thought all the men were going to have all the bad signs and all the women the good signs, but then finally changed up a little bit there. Now here, here's our last point this morning. We proclaim the gospel in Christian marriage and in Christian community. You know, what you've just seen here on this stage was a proclamation of the gospel. What's the gospel about? It's about brokenness and repentance and renewal and reconciliation and forgiveness and grace. And, and, and when Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 5, he was saying to us that the, our marriages become a picture of what Jesus does for the church. That's not always a beautiful picture. There's a before picture and there's an after picture. And you've seen that. And that proclaims the gospel. And when we come together in Christian community, we proclaim the same thing because we have found a place, a home, a family, whether you're single or married, you're firm, where we can display our brokenness, where we can display our repentance, where we can confess, where we can experience renewal, where we can experience forgiveness, where we can experience the grace of God. So guys, the only way the gospel is proclaimed is not me up here preaching a sermon on the gospel. You just saw it proclaimed right here. And I believe you see it almost every Sunday on this front row because that's where all those things come together. And so this morning, I ask you, whether you're single or married, do you feel affirmed in God? I want to say to those among us that are single, thank God you're part of this church. If we've ever done anything that made you feel second class or lower than someone else, we apologize because... Paul says, if you're married, that's a really good thing. If you're single, that's a really good thing. What do you do? Just live your life out for the Lord. So this morning, if you've been touched by the gospel and you need to repent or surrender or be baptized and watch the gospel played out in your life, why don't you come right now while we all stand together and sing?